Oh man, being stuck at Christmas is never a good thing, is it? <laughs> being stuck anywhere. Hey, I'm so glad you guys are here today. How many of you love just the Christmas season? Do you just love it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do too. I, I love a lot of things about Christmas. Um, I, I love putting out the lights. Uh, I've been working on the yard lights now, seems like for a week or so. And uh, every night I go out there and do a little bit more, a little bit more. But I love all of that. I love the, the, the food around Christmas, uh, you can probably tell. I love, the, um, I love the movies, the TV shows, like Charlie Brown Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Miracle on 34th Street, both versions. Um, I love uh, Elf, that's an all-time classic right there, and Finding the World's Greatest Cup of Coffee. I love all of those things, right? But, but really, the, the thing that, that, that kind of gets you in the Christmas mood is Christmas music. Do you agree? I mean, I love the Christmas songs. And, and I've discovered that people fall typically into either one or two categories or two types of people. Now, one group is the, is the kind that says, you start playing Christmas music Thanksgiving night through Christmas day. I mean, that's when you play Christmas music, not before then. You start the night of Thanksgiving, maybe even Black Friday, and then you go all the way through Christmas day. How many of you say that's, that's the way it should be? Yeah, okay, all right, yep, yep, passionate about it as well. And, and, but there's another group and you feel like, man, it's, it's, it's great to play Christmas music anytime. In fact, your theory is I'm going to start playing it as soon as the decorations go up in Cracker Barrel, which I think are like July 15th or something like that. And so, man, your philosophy is let's play it all the time. Anybody in those categories? You're like, okay, all right, all right. M much more passionate about that group. All right. Well, as we start our journey today, we're going to take a little journey for the next uh, two or three weeks as we talk about being stuck at Christmas. As we start the journey today, I thought we would play a few Christmas songs just to kind of get us in the Christmas mood, the Christmas spirit. And I looked up a list, there's a, a different list out there, the top 100 songs, Christmas songs, the most popular Christmas songs. And I wanted to play a few of those. And actually, we're going to, last song that you'll hear really takes us in the direction of where we're going today with the talk. But I've invited Jeffrey and Jamie and Richard and Kelly and Aaron to come out and just help us out a little bit to play a few of these songs from this list. And the, the first song they're going to play was actually number 64 on the list. It was a song that was written in 1945, but it became very popular under the legendary Dean Martin. Take it away. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we know There you go. Actually, you know that song, I, I, I did a little research on that song was actually written um, by this couple in California when it was like blazing hot in the middle of the summer. And it really wasn't a Christmas song at all. It was just their desire that it would snow. And, or as we sing here in the South, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain. Uh, but yeah, so that's number 64 on the list. Um, number 20 on the list was a little bit surprising to me. I didn't realize it would be this high on the all-time favorite Christmas songs. And if you're a grandmother in here, you're probably surprised by it as well. So. Grandma got run over by a reindeer Coming home from our house Christmas Eve 
You might think there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe As for me and Grandpa, we believe <laughs> Oh man Well this last song, it, it's actually uh, a song that moves us in the direction of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but it's a song that, that is really a classic Christmas song. And, and you really don't feel like you've experienced Christmas until you've heard this song at least once. Silent Night, it it's really is a beautiful song. It was written in 1818. It was composed by a guy named Franz Guer. And the lyrics were written by a young priest named uh, Father Joseph Moore. And I'm sure as they composed and wrote this song uh, in Austria that they had no idea how much this song would weave its way into the fabric of Christmas. Um, it really is a beautiful song. And, and honestly though, the Christmas story is not so much about a silent night as it is about the interruption of 400 years of silent nights. And let me explain. The, the Bible, when you look at the Bible, it's actually divided into two sections. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have one page that kind of divides the two in most Bibles. And in the Old Testament, you have the, it finishes with the book of Malachi. And Malachi is a four chapter, four chapter book, a little small book. And when it closes, you have a dividing page. And then the New Testament starts with the gospel of Matthew. But that single page represents around 400 years of silence from God. 400 years in there where God was not speaking, there were no prophets speaking on behalf of God, there were no words from God, there was no scripture being written from God. Silence for 400 years. And you, you sit back and, and I'm sure the people of that day would have thought this as well, but you, you're like, where did you go? <laughs> Why the silence? What, where are you, you know? Did you just get so fed up with humanity and just the sinfulness of humanity that you decided, you know what, I gotta walk away for a little bit. And 400 years later, you came back and said, okay, I'm in a better mood, I'll send my son down to die for everybody and uh, be a savior. I mean, what, what, where did you go? 
How did you, how did you leave and, and why all the silent nights? And see, I think those questions are so important because many of you have been through a season of silent nights, haven't you? And maybe you're there now, but I mean, you, you've gone through this time where you felt like God was just silent. And you prayed about things and you wondered, you know, God, where are you? Why aren't you answering me? And it's just nothing but silence. Where does God go? What is he doing? And see, if you're here today and you can answer yes to any of the four questions I'm about to ask you, then I would tell you that it's no coincidence that you're here today. That maybe God has something to say to you. And so I'm glad you're here. Here's the four questions. Number one, has God ever seemed silent? Have you ever gone through a period of time where God just seemed silent? He, he, you prayed, you asked, you asked God to come through for something, you were praying about a specific need, but you just got nothing. You just felt like, man, I'm just praying to the open sky. There ever been a time when you felt like God was silent? Second question, has it ever seemed like it took God 400 years to answer your prayers? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Well, God finally did answer, but boy, it was a long time. It took a long time for him to come through and answer. Third question. Have you ever felt like God answers other people's prayers, but not yours? God, I can see you answering those prayers. I know what they were praying for and you answered their prayer. Why aren't you answering my prayers? And the fourth question. Has God's silence ever caused you to question his existence? Where are you? You're not answering me. Either you're not real or you don't care or you're not able to do anything about it anyway. And maybe that's where you've been and maybe you walked away at some point because God was silent and it just caused you to question all kinds of things about him. If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then I am so glad you are here today because I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here. I think truly that God has something to say to you today. 400 years, and really the Christmas story is really a story of an interruption of 400 years where God had been completely silent, where God had decided he was not speaking for a while. And in that time frame, you kind of start asking questions like, well, are you ever going to speak again? Is there ever going to be anything that happens again? And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a little journey. We're going to look at some of the, some familiar scripture references that have to do with Christmas. And the Christmas story really we find in the, in the Bible. And we're going to look at some of these foundational passages. And what we're trying to do as we look at these is answer two questions. These two questions, number one, what is God doing in the silence? And number two, what do we do in the silence? Because if you've been a believer, if you've been a, a Jesus follower, a God follower for any length of time, you will experience a period of time in your life where God is silent. So in that silence, God, what are you doing? And not only that, what am I supposed to do? When I don't feel like you're answering. What do I do in the silence? So we're going to look at 
those two questions as we try to travel through the Christmas story. And when you get to the, the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. And when it begins, you have, um, uh, it's, it's set up with this young woman, the scripture says is a virgin. She's pledged to be married to a guy named Joseph. Her name is Mary. And so she's engaged to this guy named Joseph and they had not been together sexually. So she is a virgin. And the scripture says that she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God. And she goes and tells this to her fiance, Joseph. Listen, I know we've not been together, but I'm pregnant. I've not been with another man. It's God's spirit that's impregnated me. Well, Joseph struggles to believe that. I'm sure you probably would have too. And so God comes to Joseph in a dream. The angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream. And said, what Mary is telling you is true. You need to believe her. And then he gives some instructions about what um, Joseph is to do in relation to the child, naming the child and the child's mission and purpose in life. And in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it gives us a little bit of a clue of this first question of what was God doing in the silence. Here's what it says. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It says that the, the, all of these things that the, the angel of the Lord had communicated to Joseph, all of these things were the result of what a prophet had said. And it came true because the, to fulfill the words of the prophet. Well, who is the prophet? It was the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived in the Old Testament. Isaiah wrote this prophecy some 700 years prior to this taking place and the fulfilling of the, that prophecy, which tells us that God had a plan in place, that everything that was going on was a part of God's plan. And so even when God seemed silent, it didn't mean that he didn't have a plan. It didn't mean that things were not in place, things were not going on. And so he said, you're gonna name him Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is important. Because there are going to be times when you question whether or not God is actually with you. So it's important for you to know that God will be with you. And this is entering in a new day where there'll never be a moment 24-7 where God is not with you. And you back up. You skip that blank page. You go back to the last book of the Old Testament. It's the book of Malachi. Again, it's a four-chapter book. Malachi was a prophet there at the end of the Old Testament period. And he writes this book, but he starts off with, in the very first chapter with a verse that really was the overarching theme verse for the whole book. And while Malachi probably didn't know this, it was really a verse that God would use to help set up this 400 years of silence so that people would remember this. It's a very simple verse. Here's what it says. Malachi chapter one, verse two. I have always loved you, says the Lord. I have always loved you, says the Lord. And so that's the theme of the book of Malachi, but it also set up the theme for that 400 years where God was silent. Because what Malachi does is something very unique in the way he writes this. There is no, uh, there is no tense necessarily to, the, to this verb love. In other words, it's not past tense, it's not present tense, it's not future tense, it's all tenses. It's an allscape, okay? It's everything. So what God is saying to them through Malachi is I have always loved you, I love you now, I will always love you, you are loved by me. Never ever forget that. 
You're about to go through 400 years of silence, but I want you to know I've always loved you. And I will love you in the middle of those 400 years and I will love you beyond those 400 years. And see, that's really good news for some of us, right? Because for some of us, we need to know that as I'm traveling through some of these difficult days in my life, that God still loves me, that he has always loved me and that he will continue to love me, that I am loved by God. And that's so foundational for you to remember in the times when you go, God, where are you? Are you still listening? Are you still there? Because I don't sense your presence right now. And it's so important for us to remember in those moments that God says, I've always loved you. I love you now. And I will always love you. You are loved by me. Just because I'm not speaking in this moment doesn't mean you're not loved by me. I may be at work doing things, but you are very loved by me. What is God doing in the silence? What are we supposed to do in the silence? And the bottom line for really for today's talk is never ever confuse God's silence with his absence. Never confuse it. Never take this thought that because God is silent right now or seemingly silent that somehow he's absent, that he's not there or that he's not doing anything, that he's absent or that he's not still, that he's, that, that he's still at work, he's still moving, he's still doing things behind the scenes. Never confuse his absence, his, 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 his lack of communication, his silence with his absence because he is there and he's always working, he's always moving. When you look at the, our tendency oftentimes, when we don't, and the reason this is important, when we don't sense God speaking, we, we feel like he's being silent or maybe he's not, we don't feel like he cares or whatever it is, our tendency is to try to take control of our life. And our tendency is to say, well, if you're not gonna speak, then I'm gonna start doing these things. I'm gonna go j- jump out there, get ahead of this, and I'm gonna start doing all these things. That's our tendency, and if we do that, It often leads to a lot of regret, a lot of pain. The Bible is filled with story, story after story of people who felt like God was silent and because he was silent, maybe he was absent or maybe he wasn't working at all. And so I want to take control of my life. I'm going to go out there and start making decisions on my own because God is not doing what I'm asking him to do. And all of a sudden it brought a bunch of pain and regret into their life. The other side of the coin is true as well. That in those moments when God seems silent, if instead we lean into him, if we push into him and trust that he is still there, that he's still listening, that he's still working, even though I don't know it, even though I might not sense his presence, he's still there working. If we push in in those moments, then we come out on the other side of it with something so much stronger a love and a relationship that's deeper and a level of faith that has grown tremendously. It, it, it's the same, it's, it's very similar to a relationship that you have in your life. Be it with your husband or wife or boyfriend, girlfriend or, or maybe even a friendship, but a, a relationship in your life and you start trying to go through difficult things and every relationship's gonna have difficult moments. Well, you get into some of those moments and you can stand back and begin questioning. <laughs> Is this relationship real? Is this love real? Now, you you could, if you wanted to, take off the other way 
and say, there's just something wrong with this. It's not right. It's not real. So you take off the other way. Or you can push into each other and you can walk through this and you experience something on the other side of it that's so much sweeter, so much stronger. Something that's raw, something that's real, something that's messy at times and beautiful. But it's a relationship that's grown, that's become stronger. In the very same way, our relationship with God, in those moments when we could say, you know, God, I don't, think, I don't sense your presence, I don't hear your voice right now, I'm just going to go do my own thing. If instead we decided to push into God and really trust that not only he is real, but this relationship that I have with him is real. What we begin to experience on the other side of it is something sweeter and stronger. It's raw. It's real. It's messy at times. It's beautiful, but it's a relationship that has grown deeper and a faith that's grown so much stronger. Never, ever confuse God's silence with his absence. He's always at work. He's always doing things. When Malachi finishes writing this book in the Old Testament, he puts down his pen, closes the book, curtain comes down on the Old Testament time, ushering in these 400 years of silence. But what began taking place as soon as he finished writing that book is that there were a major world, uh, world power shift that took place. The Babylonians had been in charge and now the Babylonians had been kicked out by the Persians. And the Persians were ruling the day for a period of time and then around 360 BC, there was a guy that rose up in, in, in Greece. His name was Philip of Macedon. And he became this huge leader that began leading the Greeks to become a dominant force. Now you might not have heard of Philip of Macedon in your history classes a few years ago, um, but you might have heard of his son. He had a son named Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great became what many historians have said was the most, uh, the greatest strategic military mind that had ever existed up until that time. And many will say he's still the greatest uh, military st strategist that's ever existed. He did several things, but, but along with that, he went on this string of conquests. They defeated the Persians, demolished the Persians. They took over and then this string of conquests where he began going and taking over lands all around the known world. In fact, he died at the age of 33. Before he died, he, he made the statement, he said, I'm so depressed because there are no new worlds to conquer. <laughs> By the age of 33, he's like, I've conquered everything. There's nothing new to conquer. And he was depressed. He died at the age of 33. But along with all of the conquests, he did other things. And some of these things really tie into what we're talking about today. Here's a quote that he had at one particular time. He said, I want everyone that is within my conquering nation, and that was basically the known world at the time, to speak a common language. You see, when you go and you conquer other lands who speak different languages and different dialects and all of that, well, then now you have communication barriers. And what Alexander the Great wanted was for everyone to be unified in one language so that they could understand what he was saying. So that there was no barrier there. And there was no language barrier. And so he began getting everyone unified under one common language. And that common language became known as Koine Greek. 
Now, Koine Greek may not mean anything to you. It could be all Greek to you right now. But the fact that this, this one decision by Alexander the Great plays a huge role into why you're sitting here today. It has a huge role in why you know anything about this Christmas story. Why you know anything about this person named Jesus of Nazareth. This decision, this simple decision to unify everyone under one common language by Alexander the Great. Or maybe it's as if the scripture talks about how God uses the kings and rulers of the world to accomplish his vision and purpose. Maybe he made this decision without knowing it wasn't really his decision. But this decision, I'm going to tell you about three events. This is one. I'm going to tell you about three historical events that begins not only to answer the question of what is God doing in the silence, but it's three historical events that play that are directly tied to the fact that you're sitting in a church 2,000 years later that professes the name of Jesus Christ on the opposite side of the planet from where all these things took place. It's directly tied to why you're sitting here. God was busy in those silent years. Well, Alexander the Greek, Alexander the Great, Brought the Koine Greek language. Everyone was unified into that. Well, pretty soon, another empire rose up. They were stronger than the Greek empire, and it became the Roman Empire. Roman Empire comes up, and they began conquering lands as well. They were a strong, dominant force. And they made a couple of decisions, two things that they did that were very, very important. The first one is that they instituted military peace everywhere. It's called Pax Romana. The Roman peace... And all the conquered lands, the, the Roman military, which was strong and forceful, they were in place in all of these places, making sure that peace was there. There was no, you know, there were no turmoil going on. They were always there to keep the peace. And so everywhere you traveled within the Roman Empire, you could be assured that it would be peaceful. Pax Romana was a huge decision. But then another decision that the Roman Empire made was to enhance all of the transportation system, to improve all of the transportation system. In other words, in the Old Testament time, you had dirt roads, you had roads that were really difficult to travel, but they went in and they began building new roads, nice paved roads, a whole transportation system so that you could travel anywhere in the Roman Empire with, with relative ease and knowing that it was going to be peaceful. These were major decisions that began to take place. Three historical events. They were... A common language that everyone began to speak. Roman peace, military peace throughout the land. Improved transportation system. You say, well, why were these so important? What's the big deal? When the New Testament opens, the Gospel of Matthew, all of these three things were in place. Took place over these 400 years of silence. At the end of the Gospel, Jesus dies, he's crucified, he's resurrected. He walks among his followers and disciples for a period of time before he ascends into heaven. In those last days, he looked at them and said, I want you to go. I want you to be my, my voice. I want you to carry the message, all the things that I taught you. But more specifically, the gospel message that I died for you. So that your sins could be forgiven. You could have a relationship with God. You could have a right standing with God. And you could be assured of a home in heaven someday. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. 
And now I'm telling you to go everywhere throughout the land, telling people everywhere you go about this good news. And so the disciples begin to go. And because everything was under a unified language, Koine Greek, surprise, surprise, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. Everyone understood the message everywhere they went. Because there was peace everywhere, they never had to worry. I can't go to this area or that area because it's in turmoil. There's strife going on there. No, they could travel peacefully anywhere they went. And because of the improved transportation system, they could take the message farther and faster than it could ever gone before. None of this was in place when Malachi put down his pen and the curtain closed on the Old Testament. But when it curtain came up in the New Testament, everything was in place for the gospel message to travel far and wide and it's directly tied to you sitting here today. If you've ever been to a, a play or a production and you go and you watch, you know, it's divided into acts and scenes and you watch the first act and curtain comes down, lights come up, everybody goes out into the lobby and gets Diet Coke and jelly beans or whatever it is you're doing out there. And then after a period of time, you go back in, it's act two. Lights come down, curtains go up and there's a whole new set. Well, see, while you were out getting the Diet Coke and jelly beans, there was a whole group of people and they're resetting the stage. And so when the curtain comes up, man, you've got a whole new set. It's a different, it's a different place. And see, that's exactly what God was doing. In those 400 years where everybody said, where is God? Why isn't he talking to us? Why is he silent? Where did he go? In those 400 years, God was busy resetting the world stage. So that when the curtain came up on the New Testament, the most important message that this world has ever received, Emmanuel, God with us, you can have a relationship that's different than any other religion in the world. You can have a personal relationship with the God of heaven, the creator of the universe. He loves you, he's always loved you. He loves you now, he will love you forever. And his presence can be known in your life, not when you go to a church place or a synagogue, but it can be known in your heart and in your life 24 seven. Because this new relationship is a result of the sacrifice that he was willing to make by sending his son to die for our sins. And that when we receive the payment that he made for us, we have now a relationship where his spirit comes to live within us. And so every day, God is with us. The most important message this world has ever heard. And it became a message that you and I were able to hear because in those 400 years, God was resetting the world stage. And you don't have to take my word for it. Take other eyewitnesses' words for it. One being the Apostle Paul, who understood the magnitude of what was going on. And he says this in the book of Galatians in the New Testament, chapter four. He says, but when the era came to an end and the time of fulfillment had come, when that Old Testament time had come to an end, when God had set the stage, the time of fulfillment had arrived and the curtain was ready to come up, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the written law. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. It's a brand new day. God set the stage that was previously not set 
so that you and I could hear. And here we sit, 2,000 years later, other side of the planet from where all these things took place. But the fact that you're sitting here listening to this message directly tied to three decisions that took place during those 400 years of silence. Never, ever confuse God's silence with his absence or his inactivity. He is always at work. Well, this is what God was doing in the silence. But what do we do in the silence? I mean, what's our response? I'm going to give you something to think about, maybe a question to ask yourself. Something to think about. When God seems silent or or absent, trust his character. In your life, when God seems silent or maybe seems absent to you, you don't sense his presence like you once did, trust his character. You see, I, I, I know that If you follow God for any length of time, if you're a Christ follower, you will experience times where you feel like God is silent. It happens. It happens to me. And you're like, no, no, no. See, some of you think that because of my profession, my occupation, I've got like the bat phone in my office. It's a direct line. You know, I can just dial up God anytime. And, And I always hear from him. He always communicates to me. But it's not true. I'm no different than you are in the sense that I go through periods of time where I'm going, God, where are you? I need to hear from you. And I don't know what God is doing in your life. I got to believe that with a group this large that there are some of you sitting here today and you're in the middle of that place. And maybe you're contemplating whether or not to walk away. Or maybe you've been in that place and you walked away some time ago. And today you're back for the first time. But you still question whether or not you even want to believe that God is real or that he cares. And I don't know how long silent years will be. I don't know what God is up to in your life. But I can tell you this. When you, when you understand the story behind the Christmas story, I can promise you that God's record of working behind the scenes when he seems silent is flawless. He is always working behind the scenes. He is always working to, for his glory and for your good, for my good. There's never gonna be a time when God is just sitting back chilling and we're kind of trying to dial him up, you know, God, I need this, help me, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I'll get back to you. It's never gonna be the case. That his character proves otherwise. That he is a God who loves you. That he is a God that will always be at work putting his plan in place. And his plan is a plan that includes you and your best interest. And the fact that you're here today is part of that plan for you to hear that God is always working. Don't give up on that. In those moments where you don't sense his presence and you're not hearing his voice clearly, trust his character. That he's the God that he's always been. His record is flawless. Trust his character. And in those moments, I would just challenge you to ask this question. What would you do if you were confident God is with you? So tomorrow when you get up, And maybe you still haven't heard God's voice. 
Maybe you still haven't sensed his presence. What are you going to do that day, tomorrow? What decisions would you make if you were confident that God is with me? God is with me. I can't really hear him. I can't sense his presence, but I'm confident he's with me. So what decisions am I going to make knowing, fully confident, he is with me. He is walking with me every step of the way then whatever those decisions are that you would make, if you were confident of that, then make those decisions. Again, I don't know what God is doing. I don't know how long it'll take, but I'm telling you, when you trust his character and you make those decisions in spite of the fact that you don't hear from him or you're not sensing his presence, it will lead you to a place where God honors your obedience your faith grows and your love for him increases beyond anything you ever imagined. You know, I've shared some of this, some of this story before and, and some of you have heard this if you've been around here for a little while, but I want to share a little bit of, again, just in, in light of this talk. But I've, um, I've, I've been able to be here as the, the pastor um, for 24 years and, um, and that's been the thrill and the privilege of, of my life. And um, when I came here um, 24 years ago, I was 28, which uh, why anybody would hire a 28-year-old pastor, I have no idea, but uh, that's a different story. Um, but, um, but I was 28 and, and we had, I don't know, we had probably about 200 people um, that were coming on a regular basis. We, we, we were not located here, we were located over in the older part of Sugar Land. And, um, and, and over the, the next five to six years, the church just, I mean, by all signs was was very successful in the sense of there had a lot of people that started coming uh, we grew to you know over a thousand people that were coming um now it was a different kind of church it was a we were we were you know pretty somewhat traditional you know suit and tie kind of buttoned up a little bit um and, and uh but man i mean the, the church has grown and again i came when i'm 28 i'm just glad anybody's coming and so, so to see that kind of growth, it was, really, it was really a phenomenal thing and I was so thankful. Um, but there came a, a time in there, somewhere in those four, five, six, six year, where I began looking around and I began sensing that while there are a lot of people coming to our church, we're, we're, really, not, we're really not reaching out to people that have either given up on God in church or they've never even thought God or church was relevant. And yet we're surrounded by people who feel that way. And I really began to, to sense in my heart God saying, Scott, what are you going to do about those people? I mean, you got a lot of, of, of good church people coming. There's nothing wrong with that. But what are you going to do about the people that feel far from me? And so we began talking about, as a staff, we began talking about how can we change the way we do things in such a way that maybe... We become a different kind of church where we're reaching people that feel far from God. And so we've been talking about how do we create a church where people that don't go to church would like to come to? That's a hard question to try to tackle, right? Well, we knew it was going to require a paradigm shift completely. and It was going to require change and nobody likes change, right? Babies are the only people that like change. <laughs> so we began doing some of these things and then over the next three or four years, um, close to 700 people left. Um, 
And that's, that's, uh, that's difficult. It's, um, my heart is a, a pastor's heart and, and it, I, I love people. And to watch people walk away um, is hard sometimes to, to, to wrap your head around that and your heart around that. But I, I felt like we were doing what God had asked us to do and, you know, to go from being that kind of church with suit and tie to what we are today, that's a little bit of a long road. Um, we had already purchased this property that we're sitting on now um, and we had plans that were drawn up for a building that we were gonna build, but um, that was becoming like a dream that was never, ever going to happen. Um, I used to drive onto this property. There was no buildings here and I would, a little trail that came off of Brook Street and I would drive back here to some of these trees and just sit there in my car and just pray. It didn't seem like God was listening. I would weep. God was not moved. I would leave here going, I don't know if you're listening. I don't know if you even care. But I'm stuck. All I knew to do was just keep trying to take the next right step. I, 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 don't, I didn't know anything else to do. Well, we eventually were able to build this building and, and we moved over in May of 2005, but by December of 2005, so 14 years ago this month, we were still losing people. And we had a church-wide meeting, not in this room, but in this hallway over here, one of these rooms over here. It's much, much smaller than this room, but the church was able to meet in it for our church-wide meeting. And I stood in front of the group and I said, God has not brought us this far to just watch us flounder and fail. We're gonna make it. Trust that we're gonna make it. Let's stick together, we're gonna make it. God is gonna do something incredible. And I walked out of that room thinking, you just lied to those people. But I didn't believe it. It'd been too long of a road and God had seemed too silent. And slowly we began to see God just doing little things. We would see people that had never even gone to church before and they would come and they would give their life to Christ and God would say, that, that's what I'm talking about. This person here felt so far from me, but now they know me. That's what I'm talking about. And financially we struggled because when people left, so did their pocketbook. And we originally bought 40 acres of land. So all of this, we made a horseshoe around the Lutheran church right there. So we owned all of that property. Because the mindset was we were gonna build this big campus and things like that. And at some point we made a decision that, that it was really a decision just to help our finances, but it became a decision that really was the seed for another paradigm shift that we would go through. I didn't know at the time. But we made a decision to sell 14 acres on the other side over there. 
And that really did help us financially. And so we thought that was it. That was the end of that. You know, thank you, God, for helping us sell that. But had no idea that it really was setting the stage for something else. And so little by little, we began to see God move in ways that were just mind-blowing. And it, in this period of time, it really helped us recalibrate some things. It helped us to really begin to view success in a different way. Success no longer was about nickels and noses. How many people are here and how much money they give. All the measurements that we used to measure by. Success now was about life change. Are your li is your life being changed? And the only way we can measure that is by the stories we would hear. By people's hearts and lives being changed by having a relationship with Christ. And as we would hear those stories, we'd talk about those stories. And that's the only measurement. We'd meet together as a staff and we wouldn't talk about the numbers because they weren't all that great. But we would talk about the stories. And God was slowly working in our heart to recalibrate the way we view success. The staff that began coming on, you know, when you're hiring people, when the church is struggling, that's people that really want to be here. <laughs> And the staff that we began hiring then, they, they've been with me and together for 10 to 15 years. God was bringing on board the right people to help lead in this direction. I didn't really know all that. Because again, I'm just trying to take the next right step. God began to show me in some ways that not everybody that leaves is a bad thing that sometimes it's okay and there's evidence in the Bible of people parting ways and God using both to do things. And so he began showing me some of those things and that was a, not a bad thing necessarily. And he began saying, you know, I'm bringing in other people that are really helping to set the foundation for a new way of doing church. So just rest in that. And so I, I began saying, okay, we're resting that. And we began walking and walking and God began doing things that were just over, over time and it took a while, but he began doing things that were mind-blowing. And that little decision to sell some property to help us financially, what it did was put a seed in our heart to say, you know what, maybe we don't have to build a big, huge campus on this property. What if we take the principles that we are using now that God has been using to help us reach people and we transfer them to another location? And we start another location using those same principles. We'd have never thought about that until we sold some of our property. And six years ago, we started our second campus in what was the Palladium Theater, now is the Regal Theater. And God has just been using that decision to just reach many, many more people. And now in this next year, we're getting ready to start a third campus in Fulcher. I can't tell you how difficult some of those times were. And, and at times how I struggled with my faith and wondering why do you have to be silent, you know? Why can't you just speak? And, but I know when I look back on that, that God was moving, God was working. 
because I didn't sense his presence or because I didn't hear his voice was not an indication that he was absent or that he was inactive. He was constantly moving and working and setting the stage for us to experience what we experience here today. And many of your lives have been changed as a result of the things that God was doing in those years of silence. And I don't, there's rarely a Sunday, I, I, I get here early and I park back in the back of the parking lot, there's rarely a Sunday that I'm not walking up here and just looking at this place and going, I don't get it. I don't understand why I get to be a part of it. But I'm grateful. I want you to understand that whatever you're going through right now in your life, if God seems silent, don't make the mistake of thinking that he's absent or that he doesn't care or he's not listening. I'm encouraging you to trust that he's working, that he's moving, and that he's got a plan. Because he came as God with us. And that means when you have a relationship with him, there's never a day that he's not with you. So walk in the confidence that God is with you even when he seems silent.